Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are our right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace. We are continuing this morning through the book of Mark as we've been taking a look at what the kingdom of God is like. We've seen Jesus teach about the kingdom of God and show what the kingdom of God is like. Last week, Bo preached for us and talked about... um, the kingdom that we are living for. In fact, he asked it in the form of a question. He asked us, what kingdom are you looking for? And we looked at some differences between God's kingdom and the kingdom of man. This week, we're going to take a look at what it looks like when we are living for the right kingdom. What does our life pragmatically look like when we are living for the kingdom of God? A few weeks ago, we heard Jesus say, deny yourself, Take up your cross and follow me. The question we're going to answer this morning is, what does your life look like if you are doing that? What does your life look like if you are denying self, taking up your cross, and truly following Jesus? Or you could say it as living for the right kingdom. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. God, we pray that you would speak in the Congolese church. We pray that you would speak in the nursery and preschool and elementary of our church. We pray that you would speak during this time. We are desperate to hear from you, Father, and we thank you that you have spoken to us this morning. We pray that you would speak to each one and say exactly what you need each of us to hear this morning. God, where there is comfort needed, we pray that you would give comfort. Where there is truth needed, we pray that you would speak the truth clearly. And ultimately, we pray that my words would be your words because your word is most important, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If you haven't already, please open to Mark chapter 12. Uh, The exact verses are not going to be up on the screen. As you see, just the reference is up there. We're going to take a look at not only what Pastor Jeff read for us, but the, the rest of this chapter through verse 34 as well. So first we'll start with what Uh, Pastor Jeff read for us. Here, Jesus has another instance where he is talking to one of the religious leaders, and he is asked a question, and he has this back and forth dialogue, but this one goes a little bit different than a lot of the others have. This scribe actually answers wisely and poses the right questions, when so many times we've seen the opposite happen when people interact with Jesus. 
As he does, we see Jesus gives us a summary of the Old Testament and the commandments. When he tells them, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not novel. This is not Jesus coming up with a rephrasing or a new way to understand the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. This is what God said his people should be about. When Moses goes and meets with God and brings down not only the Ten Commandments, but the priorities of what would make the people of God the people of God, this is the first thing he says, is love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. This comes before the Ten Commandments. This comes before the ceremonial law. This is above all of those things. The point of all of it is to love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus here is summarizing the Old Testament in this way. He also states that God desires more than acts of worship. He desires more than just making the sacrifices in the temple than putting an animal to death, to die in your place, following the ceremonial law. He desires more than that. This is also not a retelling. This is really what the Old Testament tells us time and time again. Unfortunately, as we read the Old Testament, we see that as most often God's people are breaking this, they are potentially doing all the right things by sacrificing the animals and going to the temple, but God says time and time again, your hearts are far from me. And he points them back each time to, you're supposed to be loving me with your whole heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. A classic example of this is found in Isaiah where he tells his people, you are fasting and you are having Sabbath for your own purposes, when I have called you to be people of justice towards your neighbor. So Jesus says, this is what God ultimately desires. He desires your heart. Because throughout time, there's been a reality that men and women can honor God with their lips or even their actions or their church attendance without honoring him with their lives, by giving their lives to him. Jesus is about to show us in verses 38 through 40 what that looks like. God desires our heart. God desires all of us given to him. He desires us to have a life that loves others, loves your neighbor as yourself, because he first loved us. This kind of understanding leads to a life that denies self, takes up our cross, and follows him. When you hear Jesus plainly state in chapter 8 of Mark that this is what we're supposed to do, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, it's very clear. He tells us that that's what we're supposed to do, but if we really think about it or if we try to do it, we come away feeling like that's too hard. It's so hard to deny self, take up our cross, and follow him. Sometimes it's even easier to do that in the big things of our life But in the daily choices we make, we find out that it's very hard to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. When we struggle to do that, it's because we haven't understood what Jesus is saying in this passage. We have not understood that first we have to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. When we fully grasp what God has done for us and we love him with all of who we are and we love our neighbor as ourself, when he says, deny self, take up your cross and follow me, we're already in that habit. 
because he is most important and the needs of others takes precedent over our own needs. So loving God with all that we are, loving our neighbor as ourselves, this leads to us living as disciples of Jesus. Then verses 35 through 37, Jesus once again reconfirms his his deity. The fact that he is fully man, but he is also fully God. When he points to the Old Testament and said, David was talking about me. Once again, here we see Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that is eternal. And then he contrasts that with the behavior of the scribes. In the next passage, look with me at Mark 12, 38 through 40. Mark 12, 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Here, Jesus is saying, that these scribes, these chief priests, these Pharisees and Sadducees of the day, they are living out those Old Testament condemnations of God's people, where it would say, you go about, you go to the temple, you teach the law, you wear the right garments, but your hearts are far from me. He's saying the scribes are going through the motions of looking religious, even like a religious leader, but their hearts are far from God. It says they do it out of pretense. It says they do it because they want to be respected and revered by other people. Think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says that the Pharisees and scribes like to say long, exhaustive, theological prayers so everyone will know how holy they are, but their hearts are far from him. He's using the scribes here as a vivid example of two things. One, the contrast between him and them. Jesus comes and does the opposite of everything the scribes do. But he's also showing in living color what it looks like to live for the kingdom of man instead of the kingdom of God. The scribes are more concerned with how other people in the temple view them and how they view one another than how God views them. Jesus is now going to point to something that is the opposite of that. He's going to say, this is what it looks like to be near the kingdom of God, to understand what it means to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another story in verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he declared, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Here Jesus shows this poor widow who puts in a very small, very, very small unit of money in order to worship God. She puts in all that she has, and Jesus here commends her and says, this is what it looks like. 
The scribes do it for the glory of man. She is doing it for the glory of God. The scribes see their position as being theirs. The widow sees everything as belonging to God. She is living out the principle that we learned last week when Jesus tells his people, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God's what is God's. This woman believes that everything that she has is God's. She doesn't believe that it's just 10% of what she has. She doesn't say, oh, when I have more money, I'll give. She says, everything that I have belongs to God, and I'm putting my trust in him. He's using this as a counterexample to the scribes. He's saying, this is what it looks like to worship. This is what it looks like to live for the kingdom of God. When we live for our own kingdom, the kingdom of man, there's some beliefs that we show that we actually believe no matter what our cognitive mind says or what our lips say. When we live for the kingdom of man, we are loving ourselves more than we are loving God. When we live for the kingdom of man, we love God with parts of our life, but not all of our life. When we live for the kingdom of man, we love others but only in the margins where we have enough time and energy or when we're not busy. When we live for the kingdom of man, we are so concerned with self that we only give love for God and others, lip service with our lips, but we don't ultimately sacrifice for the things of him. The principle that Jesus is getting at and what we're seeing in these stories is that when you love God, When you love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will love your neighbor as yourself. One flows out of the other. That's because when we see God has fully given himself to us, we give ourselves fully to him and his purposes. If we believe that everything belongs to him, that he has given us everything that we have, that we deserve nothing, that he gave fully to us, then we give generously to him and others, all parts of ourselves, because it belongs to him anyway. The way to live life is not saying, what part of my life am I going to give to God? And what part am I going to keep for self or give to my family? It's, it comes down to giving all of us to God. That's what we talked about when we talked about Mark 8, and it says, deny yourself. When we deny ourselves, we've already set down self so we can pick up the cross and follow him. The first is a one-time decision. The first time when we say, I am setting down self and I am going to follow Jesus. And when we have genuinely, truly done that, then each day we choose to take up his cross and follow him. That's the daily struggle of sanctification, giving more and more of ourself to him. But the decision was made back here. I'm going to follow Jesus. And when we say, I'm going to set aside self, I'm going to deny self, and I'm going to follow Jesus when he says, give me this, give me that, change this, follow me here, make sacrifices here, we say yes because we already said yes back here. This woman had every excuse to not give that such a small unit of measure. Well, what difference is it going to make anyway? What if I can't pay my bills? What if a storm comes tomorrow and I need the money? She had every excuse in the book. She could have watched everyone else being like, look at all the money they're putting in. I'm sure everything's covered. But she believed that that money belonged to God. And she had a heart that was already given to God So obedience was an outflow 
of that. When you see that God has given himself fully to you, you give yourself fully to him because you have everything you need. You operate from a place of abundance and you have what Tim Keller calls a freedom of self-forgetfulness. You're not even thinking about self. You're thinking about others. You're thinking about the purposes of God because you already denied yourself back here. So this is what we need in our life this loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself, that allows us to deny cross or deny self, take up our cross and follow Jesus. So how do we fan this into flame? How do we live a life that says, I'm going to deny self and I'm going to follow Jesus? We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about four ways to do this, to fan that flame of love of God in our life first. Know the love of God. First, we have to know the love of God. We give ourselves fully to him because he has given himself fully to us. Denying self is difficult, but when we see that he went first, we're willing to do it because of the great love that he has for us. First John 4 says we love because he first loved us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us us. It starts with knowing God's love. I walked us through this as a church a few years ago, but it's such an important concept. I want to go back to it. In Greek, there's two kinds of knowing the word know. It's two different Greek words, and you'll see it appears many, many times throughout scripture. 318 instances of one, 225 of the other. So we'll read in our English translation, no, 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 K-N-O-W, but it means two different things just about equally half the time. It means one kind of no or the other kind of no. The first kind of no is found 318 times, and that's facts. That's knowing that something is real because cognitively you know it to be true. The second kind is more experiential. You know something because you've experienced it for yourself. You don't take someone else's word for it. You don't read about it in a book. You don't just factually know that it's true, but you've really experienced it. Raise your hand if you have heard of Italy. Everyone got some kids in the back too. Okay, everybody has heard of Italy. Raise your hand if you've been to Italy. More than I thought. I've been to Italy as well. If you know that Italy exists and if you've been to Italy, two different experiences. Knowing Italy as a country is the first kind of know. The second kind of knowing is actually going there. Then that changes your experiences moving forward. I was in Kansas City a few years ago and we went down to a, a shopping area, an outdoor river market. And I saw that there was an Italian grocery store. And I had not been in an Italian grocery store in, since I was in Italy over 20 years ago now. So a few years ago when I saw this Italian grocery store, I'm like, I wonder what's in there. I'm sure it's great stuff. I mean, bread and uh, wine and olive oil and just amazing things. Bread and cheese and all of life's wonderful things, right? So... I open the door and walk into the grocery store and the smell overwhelmed me. 
in a good way. It was a smell that I could not get from making an Italian dish in my home or going to the section of Hy-Vee where they have the olives. It could only come from stepping into an Italian grocery store. I knew that it smelled exactly like an Italian grocery store, not because of the name or the Italian flag inside, because I had experienced that smell before, and now I was experiencing it again. In order to really follow Jesus, we need to know that he loves us. Not just cognitively, not just by a way of facts, but because we have experienced his love. If I were to ask you the question, if you know God or not, most of us, the first thing that we would mention was dates on the calendar. I know God because I went to church as a kid. I know God because someone shared it with me in college. I know God because I prayed a prayer and received Jesus and started following him. I know God because I read this book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I know God because I have read it in the Bible. These are all wonderful parts of our story and parts of our testimony. But I want to submit to you that instead of that, as we move forward, when we talk about knowing God, we can say, I know God because of what he did on the cross for me and now the current reality in which I live. See, because Jesus factually died on a cross. He was fully man, fully God. He died on a cross. It's a fact. We can know it. It's historical fact. He rose from the grave. Another historical fact. We can know those things, but to really know it and experience it, we have to dwell on what it is currently doing for us today. Facts like our sins are forgiven. Facts like we are in Christ. Facts like the spirit of the living God is living inside of us. Facts like there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Facts like he has given us a mission and a purpose bigger than anything in this world. Facts like we can live free of the possessions of this world because we've already given all of them to him because our hearts belong to him because of what he's done for us. This is a big idea, and it's a lot to chew on, so I want to just put it very simply and very, for lack of a better term, devotional for you. I want you to think through these two questions when it comes to knowing God's love. Maybe write these down and spend some time meditating on these throughout this week. First, how has he proven that he loves you? How has he proven that he loves you? What are all the times and ways and seasons that he has proven that he loves you? Looking more forward, how do you need him to show his love to you right now and in the future? How has he proved his love for you and how do you need him to show his love for you moving forward? This helps us know the love of God. So we have to not just cognitively know the love of God, experientially know the love of God, and then we also need to live a life that stokes our love for God, that fans the flame of the love of God, that fans the flame of the glory of God in our lives. Once a week at church, 
or 1.4 times a month at church, which is the American average church attendance, is not going to stoke our hearts for the love of God. It's a moment-by-moment lifestyle. So lean into the things that stoke your love for God. For me, many of those things involve being outside in the sunshine. So this time of year, kind of hard, right? It was beautiful to see the sunshine this morning and hear the birds singing, even if there was frost on my windshield. You know, the good and the bad, you take both. But consistently, something that stokes my love for God is on one hand reading incredibly nerdy theological things about Greek and Hebrew and all the angles and all the interpretations of all the things. Next week's passage that we're going to talk about is a trip. It's, it's amazing. It's about the signs of the end of the age. I read four commentaries this week about that passage and they all disagreed with one another. So can't wait to talk about it next week. I love reading stuff like that seeing something from all angles, doing all the research on the thing, thinking it over, thinking deeply about it, knowing what the different camps think about it, thinking about modern theology versus ancient theology about these different issues. So on one hand, I love that. But then on the other hand, I love going back to the kids' resources and picking up a children's Bible and reminding the simple yet profound love of God for me described with pictures and illustrations and metaphors that are directed at children that pierce through my very heart. That stokes my love for God. So what stokes your love for God? Lean into those things. Here are three things I would recommend as you do those things. First, when you read scripture, look for his love. When you read scripture, look for his love. In the month of January, I read 1 Samuel. This month, I'm reading Joshua. It's bleak, y'all. It's very bleak. There's some crazy stuff going on there. And if I read a chapter a day of those books of the Bible, I don't always come away with a nice little tidy life lesson. But when I look for the love of God, I see it on every page. Because even when people are slaughtering each other and praying that their enemies' babies get dashed on rocks and crazy stuff like that, you can see how could God have grace and mercy on those people? And then you think, how could God have grace and mercy on this kind of person, these kind of people? So look for the love of God. Second, cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Being thankful for God's provision, presence, power in your life. Being thankful for his faithfulness throughout generations. If you're in a terrible time, thanking him that it's not always that way. Thinking of the ways he has proven himself to you in the past. Thinking about his promises for the future. Cultivating a lifestyle of thanksgiving changes your perspective and changes your heart. Lastly, look for idols. Look for those small g gods that take the place of the one true God. Look for the idols, the things that we worship, the things that motivate and drive our behavior, that lead us astray in our love for the living God. Look for the things that you are loving instead of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Third, give your life away. We love because he first loved us. And if we have denied ourselves and we are focusing on the way he has emptied himself in order to serve us, then we have the strength and the motivation to do the same for others. Give your life away. In Mark 8, 35, Jesus has just said in verse 34, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And then he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find true life. True life comes from service. True life comes from laying down our life. True life comes from deference towards others and their wants and needs. This is developing a consistent, habitual practice of self-sacrifice. Have you been amazed in your life at the things that can become habit-forming? The stupidest things. You can get addicted to, like, Wordle, and you can get addicted to beverages that aren't supposed to be addictive. You can get addicted to TV shows and YouTube shorts and the TikTok and all the things. A consistent, habitual practice of self-sacrifice can change your life as well. It can become habit-forming. This comes through showing deference to others. This looks like being quick to listen and slow to speak. This looks like Luke 6, when Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful. This looks like a life where you are training your life. You are training every part of you to defer to and love others. If I have already denied myself when one of my kids has a request of me, it goes completely different than if I am trying to gratify self. Lastly, we need to make sure that we're living for the right kingdom. The scribes thought they were. The chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Crusades, Peter when he cut off that servant's ear in the garden coming up in a couple of weeks, all thought that they were being gatekeepers to the kingdom of God. And God says they are far from the kingdom of God in those moments. Are we living for the right kingdom? We can do anything with the wrong motive. We can do anything with the wrong motive. We need to make sure that we are living for the right kingdom. I said next week is a confusing passage with lots of interpretations, and we're not going to figure it all out next week. I'm not going to figure it out this week, sorry to say. But spoiler alert, next week we're going to learn that God's kingdom lasts forever and yours won't. That's the punchline for next week. So stick around for the ride, but that's where it's headed. God's kingdom will last forever and yours won't. Oh man, we spend so much time building our kingdom and it's a total house of cards. We spend so much time protecting our kingdom, building our kingdom, fighting other things that come at war with our kingdom. Jesus says, 
seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things, all the things you need will be given to you. So what does it look like when you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? It looks like a life fully given to Christ because he gave his life for you. It looks like giving your life to others because Christ owns all of you already. Paul puts it this way in a very profound yet understandable way in Galatians chapter 2. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're scared to deny self because we're afraid we're giving up any sense of life or self or identity or autonomy. We think that denying self is the worst news ever. We hate it. It's so hard for us to do it. But here, Paul is saying, I've found where real life comes from. I know what real life looks like. I live, I live my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus went first. He always did the will of the Father. He emptied himself in order to serve. He set aside what he rightly deserved. We don't even deserve it. He deserved it. And he set it aside to do the will of the Father so that people like you and me could be included in his kingdom. That is a God worth worshiping and serving with our whole lives. When he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he knows we're going to fall flat on our face. So he obeys it. And he goes to the cross and he dies in our place. He rises from the grave. So this can be a reality, not just for Paul, but for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the worship time we have had here. We pray that we would continue this out into our lives and that we would be your good news people. Uh, God, we pray that you would take our life and let it be consecrated completely to you. Use us for your purposes, God. We pray that we would go in your spirit, in your grace, and with your good news. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in grace, and we'll see you soon.